0: Hello there. Uh, This is um, a Holy Thursday as we uh, make preparation to celebrate uh, what our Christ did as far as his son, Jesus Christ, is concerned um, when it came down to the aspect of making his way to Calvary. As we reflect upon nearly 2,000 years of uh, historical tradition, uh, this is the day that as we celebrate this week of passion that jesus was going to be denied and betrayed and um, beaten on this night and today what i want to do is talk about really what suffering looks like as far as maintaining a christ-like attitude um and so i think that this lesson today is very appropriate as far as our time together is concerned and so i want to to call your attention to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's a very rich passage as far as um, today's um, reflection is concerned when it comes to remembering what God did through Christ for you and I to have eternal life. I want to read this passage for you, and then we want to do uh, some good work as far as um unpacking the passage so first peter chapter four verses one through six it reads like this uh, therefore since christ suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same mind for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walk in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries in regard to these, This is, this is very rich. And so let's mark up this passage and then let's begin to do some hopefully and prayerfully good work. Looking at verse four, where it talks about, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, I want you to um, highlight the word Christ. I want you to underline the phrase suffer for us in the flesh. And then I want you to Highlight the phrase in the flesh. Arm yourself. I want you to circle the words, arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If you would underline that phrase has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now I want you to highlight the phrase in the flesh. Now I want you to draw a line. From their phrase, in the flesh, in the B clause, to in the flesh, in the A clause. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh. Highlight that phrase, in the flesh. And draw a line from that phrase, in the flesh, in verse 2, to in the flesh, in the B clause of verse 1. For he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. But for the will of God, highlight the phrase, "for the will of God." For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. If you would underline the phrase, "past lifetime" in doing the will of the Gentiles, while we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, uh, and abominable idolatries. Uh, if you would highlight that phrase. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. If you would highlight the phrase, the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. If you would highlight all of verse five. For this reason, the gospel was preached. Highlight like the phrase the gospel was preached. Also to those who are dead, that they might be judged, if you would underline the phrase judge, according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. If you would uh, highlight the phrase according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So let's look at, at, at verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let's be honest. It is hard to maintain a Christ-like demeanor, especially when you're going through suffering. However, if you're going to learn how to do the will of God in a very intentional way, you, you got to be willing to allow for yourself to take on the mind of Christ. I tell folks, you can't do the work of Christ if you really don't have the mind of Christ. And the way that you and I get the mind of Christ is through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So looking at verse one, this is what we see. And this is what we want to unpack. When Paul talks about, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, he is calling our attention back to verse 18 of 1 Peter. Um, verse three, uh, Chapter 3, verse 18, when he said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring to us, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So this is what the therefore is referring to. And... What Paul wants, not Paul, Peter wants us to understand is that you and I got to have patient endurance even when we suffer in an unjust manner. Now, let's be honest. It's, it's one thing uh, to suffer for something that you know you did wrong, it's another thing to suffer and you know you did not do anything wrong. And basically, this is how Jesus deals with us. Uh, Jesus' suffering was not because he did anything wrong, but Jesus basically suffered, taking on your sins and my sins so that you and I can be made right with God. Okay? So his suffering, his unjust suffering is so that you and I can be justified by faith in him to be made right with God. But the phrase that turns verse one on its head is when it says, arm yourselves with the same mind. Uh, That word arm yourselves is really a military term. It is a military metaphor. And basically what Peter is saying is that you need to arm yourselves with the same intention, the same mindset, the same attitude that Christ had when it came to suffering. Okay, it is like um, a soldier putting on armor To defend himself. And so our identification. With Jesus Christ. Means that we are arming ourselves. With his attitude. You cannot suffer. And maintain a Christ like demeanor. In your attitude. Or in your spirit. You have to allow for yourself. To take on. Watch this. The mind of Christ the mind of Christ, so that basically you will be able to emerge from your moment of suffering with a sense of purpose, power, and passion. So our identification with Christ, our arming ourselves uh, with the mind of Christ also means that we are sharing in his suffering and his death Jesus Christ suffered in a physical body he was not a disembodied spirit he suffered with a in his physical body when you and i suffer we suffer in our body also and just as we suffer in our body um we make identification with Jesus Christ as far as this moment of suffering is concerned. Now now let's 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 unpack this in a very meaningful way because this is leading us to a very grand result that hopefully and prayerfully we will start taking on in a very meaningful way. Because you and I have been armed with the mind of Christ and we suffer in our body, just as Christ suffered in his body, then that means that you and I have the capacity to not allow sin to dominate our lives. Because of his dying, we should no longer be slaves to sin. And one of the scriptures that really picked this up for us is in Paul's writing to the church at Rome, that in Romans chapter six, uh, I believe it's verse six and seven. uh, This is lifted up in a very meaningful way when it talks about that how our old person is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died has been Freed from sin. Okay. All right. So in other words, you and I, you and I have died in Christ. Okay. And because we are dead to sin, because we have died with Christ, because we are united with Christ. we we are no longer bound by the penalty of sin. And since you and I are no longer bound by the penalty of sin, then we got to do all we can to live free from the power of sin. Now, what does this mean? Where are you trying to go, Pastor? This, This is where I'm trying to take us. What I want you all to understand is that as you and I, live this life as far as what God will have for us to live. And really, this is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. That suffering helps us in this area. Okay, Just as Christ's suffering led to death and resurrection, our suffering helps us to put sin, selfishness, self-aggrandizement, self-centeredness behind us and allows for us to live a life of more meaningful service and worship to our God. Not only does Jesus' suffering make him victorious over sin, it makes him victorious over the devil. And you and I, as we live in obedience to Christ, We have victory over the enemy. So basically, we're called to arm ourselves with a mind to be like Christ when we suffer. But let's be honest. I don't know about you, but I don't like to suffer. Uh, I try to avoid the least amount of pain as possible. Uh, And we'll do anything we can to to overcome and to avoid pain. However, if you and I are going to do the will of God, sometimes it's going to require suffering. Um, Pain and danger really show where our values are. Anybody, check this out, anybody who suffers while doing the right thing and still obeys God in spite of the suffering comes to realize that sin no longer has control over your life. That sin no longer dominates your reality. All right. And and this serves really as a good transition to the verse number two, where it talks about how, you and I no longer should live the rest of our time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So as a result of you and I having adopted the mindset of Jesus Christ, then we can re- live the rest of, of our lives, not for human evil desires, but rather to do the will of God. So, so what does this look like? What does this look like? This describes the difference between believers' lives without Jesus and our lives with Jesus. Before conversion, we live to satisfy our own human desires. But after conversion, we are concerned about doing the will of God not what we want. Now, that doesn't mean that after we get saved, those, our own desires don't pop up here. But I want to be very intentional about what Peter is trying to get us to understand and to appreciate. Here it is. This verse really shows us that when we suffer and we have the mind of Christ, when we suffer, it is causing us to obey God more faithfully. Because if you could continue to do right, even as you're suffering, it really shows that God is doing a major work in your life. In other words, your own safety and security is no longer the priority. It's you doing the will of God. Because when we lift up this particular verse here, we see that our human desires are still there. Um, And human desires basically is used as a negative term, and it is put in contrast to the will of God. Human desires really stands against the will of God. Uh, And and, and what is the the will of God? Well, uh, Peter answers that you and I as believers should do good works, that we should have respect and love for each other. We should revere and worship God. We should prepare to suffer for doing good. We should be done with sin. We should reject evil human desires. And we should, in verse three, reject the shameful act of the Gentiles. All right. So Peter is saying that you're no longer caught up in what you want to do, your human desire. That's what the lust of men is all about. But now you want to do the will of God. Now, this is where this is the crux of the matter, because verse three is very, very profound. What Peter is now saying, in the past, prior to uh, our conversion experience, prior to us, Um, seeing the ways of God. We did what the Gentiles did. We behaved according to the culture. Um, Our old habits now are a thing of the past. And so what Peter wants us to understand is that because you now have a relationship with God, you are making a break from what the pagans used to do. Those wasted years of lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He, he 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 lists these evil activities, saying that because you now have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're no longer caught up in this. So so let's let's unpack this for a moment. Lewdness. That is open and excessive indulgences in sexual sins. That, that is you engaging in sexual immorality and impurity. All right. Now, I know in today's culture, it's real hard to talk about sexual sins because we live in a society where anything goes. And unfortunately, some of that has infiltrated its way into the church uh but the standard is that you and i are called to abstain from lewdness another one is lust those, those are our sinful human desires um, when it comes to lust and and lust is more than just some sexual connotation it is you having uncontrolled passions um and you do whatever you feel like doing okay uh drunkenness uh that is the reference to excessive use of wine and strong drink okay that's what um uh peter is talking about because we know that back then uh wine was also used um because the water back then was Not as pure as the water is in today's culture, so they drank wine. But Peter is saying, you know, um, as a Christian, you need to avoid the excessive use of wine and strong drink. Revelries, revelries are are uh, basically—I'm trying to figure out how to say this in a in a nice way, but I can't. But it's referring to orgies. Drunken parties that's filled with sexual promiscuity. And and, and the reason that this is associated with the Gentiles is because the Gentiles used to have sexual orgies as far as celebrating their pagan gods. So that's why they had these different temples and different temple prostitutes that they would go to and engage in sexual activity with them to celebrate festivals of their pagan gods, and so Peter is saying you 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 should not be engaging in orgies another one is um drinking parties that's where you are um, getting drunk and out of control uh, as far as uh, drinking parties are concerned and then the last one is when he talks about um abominable idolatries. Uh, He's really talking about um, engaging in acts of worshiping pagan gods. Anything that you put before God uh, can become an idol. Okay? And so basically, this exhortation that Peter is giving Is trying to help the Gentile Christians who used to live that type of lifestyle to understand that now, since you have been saved, now, since you have been born again, now that you are suffering for the sake of Christ, these are some things you should not be partaking in. Okay. These are some things you should not be partaking in. All right. Let me say it again. These are some things you should not be partaking in. So here is Peter counseling against getting drunk, uh, losing control because you're drunk, engaging in a lifestyle that does not necessarily reflect the fact that you have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I want to suggest that resurrection really means that you and I have come into a newness of living on this side of the veil. Let me let me go ahead and, and and press the accelerator down even further because Peter really begins to drive the point home this way. He says, in regard to these. They think it's strange that you not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, this 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 is this is where where Peter really gets a whole lot of us. He is saying the people from your past are gonna look at you, and because you don't do what they're doing, they're gonna talk bad about you. All right. Uh, because you don't go to the club. Huh? Uh because you're not engaging in loose living. Um because you 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 you, you no longer um uh getting drunk on the weekend or getting high on the weekend and, and we can make this translation even in today's culture the folks you used to roll with, they're going like, they start talking about you. Because when God makes a change in your life, your old friends will now become your present day persecutors. When you become a Christian, your life should change in such a manner that folks will look at you and dog you out. And so what Peter is saying, you you no longer want to jump in that same water with them. You no longer want to jump in that, that, that same culture with them and be flooded by lewdness and revelry and orgies and drunkenness and abominable idolatries. You no longer want to engage in that lifestyle and allow for those waters to overtake your soul. And so Peter is saying, hey, guess what? When you start living intentionally and meaningfully for Jesus Christ, it's just some stuff you're not going to do, you're not going to want to do, and the very people you used to hang with and roll with, they're going to speak evil of you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to dog you out. See, Peter's words at this particular moment are talking about people who don't have Christ in their life, diving into all kinds of human uh, desires and passions. Trying to find meaning and fulfillment. And let's be honest. If you don't have Christ in your life, then basically all you're trying to do is satisfy yourself. Okay. And you will not find fulfillment. Here 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 is where where I want to drill down and, and hopefully um, make some impact today. Being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you become part of an odd group. You are not expected to be like the culture. Let me say that again. You, you are not expected to live like the culture. All right. You can't go to every party. You just can't. We find ourselves in church when everybody else wants to catch up on sleep or play sports or go to brunch and have a mimosa. You and I, we give our money away through tithes and offerings when other people are more concerned about maximizing investment potential. You and I, when we are damaged, we turn things over to God and we pray about it when the culture will sue you about it. All right, this is what it means when you and I become a Christian. Our lives undergo such a radical change that the people we used to roll with now have contempt for us. They say, oh, you think you're a Christian? You think you're better than us? No, I don't think I'm better. I just know that by the grace of God, I've been saved. And since God has extended grace to me, I am expected to live in a different way. All right. And they're going to talk about you. They're going to talk about you. It's par for the course. Um, they, they, they're going to dog you out because the people who love darkness can't stand the light. All right. And they will try to tempt us to join them. So when you refuse as a follower of Jesus Christ to participate in an activity, um, they will heap hostility upon you. And what they would tend to do is they will lie on you, they will slander you, they will make malicious comments about you. All right, it's par for the course. But then check what happens in verse five. Verse five said, they would give an account to him who was ready to judge the quick and the dead. This is what you have to understand. Those who spend their lives in idolatrous living in these fleshly indulgences, one day we have to stand before Jesus Christ as their eternal judge and give an account. Now, this is what I want you to understand, that the very people who dog you out because you're doing right will one day have to stand before God and Christ and give an account of what they what they have done. And all of us are going to give an account. Whether we believe in God or don't believe in God, all of us will give an account. Whether we live right or didn't live right, all of us will one day give an account. Nobody is going to escape the final judgment of our words and our works in this life. Now, what this should do is give you and me some great relief and confidence that one day God is going to vindicate us. OK, everybody, believers and unbelievers, everybody, saved and unsaved, everybody, uh, those who accepted Christ and those who reject Christ, everybody one day will give an account to God. So guess what? We ain't got no reason to taunt those who are in the line of judgment because final judgment is going to be universal. For those who have died, will rise again. To join those still alive to meet God for reward or punishment. That's why you talk about judging the living and the dead. Right. Unbelievers. Whether alive or dead. Will receive the punishment they deserve. God is ready to judge. That judgment can come at any time. We don't know when, how or where, but that judgment will come now. Here is the difference for you and me. We base our salvation on our faith in Jesus Christ. And God bases our judgment on how we live. Those who inflict persecution are marked for punishment when they stand before God. Believers. Do not need to fear eternal punishment, however, because Jesus will be the final judge. And so, Peter's argument is that God is going to protect and reward his people who suffer and hold their persecutors accountable on the day of judgment. That is what this boils down to. Now, as I come into the home stretch, this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important. It is for this reason that the gospel is preached. Also to those who are dead that they might be judged according to the men in flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. First of all, we preach the gospel so that men may come to the saving knowledge and faith of who Jesus Christ is. Now, I need to unpack this because some folks, they look at this and they can take this the wrong way. And I want to be very intentional about how we're looking at this. And I want to let you know what it means and what it doesn't mean. For this reason, the gospel is preached also that those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the spirit. This has been interpreted to refer to those who are spiritually dead in sin. Or to those who have heard and believed the gospel, but have since died, and then those who have died without hearing and believing the gospel. All right. Now I, I want to to unpack this because, um, uh, and to give you the proper perspective uh, of what it means. There, there, there. Some have tried to take this verse and tie it back. 1 Peter 3 verses 18 through 20 when it talks about how Christ suffered for our sins, died for the unjust, uh, brought to us uh, and made us alive in the spirit. And he went to preach to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient. Um, And talking about how salvation to the unbelievers who lived before he came, trying to give them a second chance after death. But this is not what that verse is dealing with. Um, Others say that Christ preached salvation to the Old Testament people who believed in God in the time before Christ lived on earth, offering the gift that he brought eternal life. And then there are others who believe that this refers to the gospel being proclaimed by the apostles to those on earth who were physically alive, but spiritually dead. All right. Most likely, though, Peter was referring to those dead at the time of his writing who had heard and accepted the gospel. And and, and many people in the early church had concerns about life after death. Remember, they're in a Greek culture and they're wrestling with what type of resurrection that's going to take place. Because even in Thessalonica, Christians worried that loved ones who died before Christ's return would never see Jesus. And that's why Paul had to say, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Well, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, uh, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Um, um, So what is happening here is that Peter is clearing up what he means when he talks about Uh, how the gospel is preached also to those who are dead. Peter explains that these believers, though they have been judged in the flesh as everyone else judged, that is, they die physically as everyone else died, still one day live in the spirit as God does. Now, let me drill down on this because in verse six, Peter, in contrast with verse five, encourages readers with the fact That rather than facing judgment for their sins, those who have heard and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ face altogether a different future. That because those who have died have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, that God has a different outcome for them. That the good news was first announced when Jesus preached on earth. And has been operating ever since. And it affects all people, the living and the dead. So really, this is what Peter is is, is trying to get us to understand. And I hope and pray that this this makes a connection with you. The penalty for your sin and my sin has been paid by Jesus' dying on the cross. We're going to celebrate that tomorrow. That's known as Good Friday. The last earthly effect of sin is physical death. Okay, so when you and I die, every funeral we go to is the last earthly effect of sin. Every every time we hear of a loved one dying, it's the last earthly effect of sin. Every time we close a casket, it's the last earthly effect of sin. It is physical death. I don't care. If you are saved and sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, got Jesus on your mind. uh, As long as Jesus carry, you and I will die. It's gonna happen. We're gonna shed tears over loved ones. You and I will die physically. That's our judgment. Death is part of the human equation. But for the Christian, physical death does not lead to judgment and eternal separation, but it leads to eternal life. We live in a newness of life in accordance to God in the spirit forever in the presence of God. That is what this is talking about. So guess what? Because you and I have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, death is not the end. It is a transition. It is something that you and I will experience, but it is not the end, but merely a transition from life temporal to life eternal where you and I will be able to bask in the glory of God forever and forever. So as you and I get ready to celebrate what is called the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this Sunday, My brother and my sister, take wonderful delight in knowing that one day, because we are connected with him, we shall be like him. But in the meantime, on this terrestrial ball called Earth, in this human life, you and I should demonstrate with such a sense of profound gratitude and appreciative grace what God has done through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we should not allow for the power of sin to rule our lives in such a way that when people see us, they really wonder whether or not we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, I want to leave you on this note don't take God's grace for granted. Well, I hope and pray that um, today's sharing has been a blessing to you. I want to let you know that uh, as we make preparation to celebrate Good Friday and uh, Holy Saturday and Resurrection Sunday, that the church is in existence because of what Christ has done. And I want you to know that the local fellowship known as St. Paul Church continues to do great work as far as our community is concerned. And I appreciate all of those who are partnered with us through your hands, your feet, your giving and your generosity. You have a wonderful opportunity to give even now. And this is something we don't take for granted. And so if you would like to give, uh, you can. Uh, Send a check or money order to uh, the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or you can drop off your money order, cash, or check at the church. Call the church office first at 704-334-5309 to make sure someone is there. Uh, The second way you can give is through our website, through either ACS or Church Life app, you can give there. Then third way you can give is through the app called Givelify. Uh, You can download that app from your app store, connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks, you can give to St. Paul. And so I want to thank you in advance for your wonderful graciousness and kindness as far as being a blessing to the work that we're doing here at St. Paul, and even more importantly, I pray that today's sharing has been a blessing to you and will deepen your walk with Christ, your love for God, and your openness to the work of the Holy Spirit. Take care, God bless, and have a blessed Resurrection Day on Sunday.